Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's all-in podcast on genre television. Hello, friend. I'm Josh Wiggler, and if you, like me, are a Mr. Robot fan, then you are in the right place. Unless you're a Mr. Robot fan who has not yet watched the final season premiere of the mind-bending, genre-blending computer hacker thriller, which premiered October 6th on USA Network, because if you match that description... If you haven't watched the premiere, then I strongly advise you to get out now. Get out of here. Leave quickly. This podcast contains so many spoilers from the first episode of Mr. Robot in almost two years. And unlike the 5-9 hack, there's no going back once you hear what's ahead. Seriously, I'm talking about a bombshell that's as big as the biggest reveal from season one. You're going to make me say it, aren't you? I am Mr. Robot. Since you and I are friends, and since I like you so much, I'm going to make sure there's plenty of padding between now and my rundown of the biggest jaw-dropper from the Mr. Robot premiere. After all, Mr. Robot's most recent episode before the premiere aired in December 2017, so you very well may need some freshening up heading into the final 13 episodes of the award-winning and groundbreaking drama. Here it is in a nutshell. Rami Malek stars on Mr. Robot as Elliot Alderson, a technological genius who ushered in a global revolution with an assist from his alter ego, appropriately named Mr. Robot. You think this is going to get rid of me? I am not to be gotten rid of. This zombie act you're pulling, it don't work on us. This control you think you have? It's an illusion. Played by Christian Slater, Mr. Robot is the spitting image of Elliot's father, Edward Alderson, who died long ago thanks to an illness he contracted while working on a top-secret project in Washington Township, New Jersey. A lot has happened between then and now. Elliot masterminded the aforementioned 5-9 hack that brought the world to financial and existential ruin. Most of his co-conspirators at the hacker group called F-Society have lost their lives in the pursuit of that cause, and Elliot himself is only alive because he's placed himself in a power position with the Dark Army, specifically their leader. Every hacker has her fixation. You hack people, I hack time. So you should know that when I set a timeline, there's a reason. White Rose, a.k.a. Minister Zhang, an enigmatic force of nature played with relish by B.B. Wong. In the season three finale, Elliot managed to more or less reverse the conditions of the 5-9 hack. 
What's more, he enacted a plan that will help White Rose safely transport her precious project away from Washington Township into the far-flung confines of the Congo, all in an effort to save his own life, as well as the life of his sister Darlene, played by Carly Chaikin. White Rose's plan, for what it's worth, may be as ambitious as building a literal alternate universe, but the exact specifics are unknown to all but a precious few, such as Angela Moss, played by Portia Doubleday. No, it's not over. It's not over, it can't be. <laughs> she was gonna bring my mom back. We were gonna be reunited. <laughs> yeah, about that. That more or less brings us up to the final season of Mr. Robot, which spans 13 episodes and takes place across a small handful of days surrounding the Christmas of 2015. In this week's series regular, we're diving deep into the events of the final season premiere and looking ahead at what's coming down the pike. And we're doing all of that with the help of a very special friend indeed, Sam Esmail, the Mr. Robot mastermind who originally envisioned this series as a feature film and has stepped behind the lens as director for each and every episode since season two. It contains some shout-outs to the Mr. Robot weekly coverage I do over at Post Show Recaps, alongside my co-host Antonio Mazzaro, who's a man you're going to be hearing a whole lot more from on series regular very soon. Watch this space. For now, let's hop into the robot of it all with Mr. Resmail. And before we do, let's go ahead and match the tone of the final season by spreading some good old-fashioned holiday cheer. In the city. Sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. In the air, there's a feeling of Christmas. Hello, friend. How are you, Sam Esmail? I am doing okay, I think. Where are you in your headspace right now as you're in the, the deep, deep minds of your own Mr. Robot fond farewell? Can I just be honest with you? I'm just super excited that the impeachment hearings are starting. Right. Trump is getting <laughs> Dating this podcast right now. Right now. <laughs> Who knows where we are in the world by the time this has come out? Right, right, right. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we're in a better place by the time this gets out. But yeah, yeah um, I'm actually just pretty excited. I'm really hyped about that. Yeah. And it really is infecting my work here. I'm actually because you know we've been doing a lot of late nights trying to get these episodes right, but the the whole Trump thing is giving giving us a boost, giving so, you a little bit yeah, of a shot in the we're arm, giving, and we have a little bit of hope now. Well, you've got a lot of work cut out for you. I know that you had a lot of work cut out for you devising the final season, writing the final season, actually physically filming and creating the yeah. final season. And where are you in the process right now? Certainly, as people are listening to this, the first episode is out in the in the universe. Where are you with wrapping this whole thing up? We're about halfway through the season in just editing, so doing doing well. In terms of constructing this final season, because I know it's something that you had been saying for a while of, I don't know if this is going to be a four-season show, it's going to be a five-season show. When did you sit down and you finally figured out that we've got one more season's worth of story to tell? It was, it was when we started the writer's room up for season four. You know, we just walked in assuming 
I think everybody just had the assumption that we were going to go five. And we started just, you know, doing our normal thing, brainstorming, season arc, what's it going to be, you know, um, where do we begin and end? And when we started talking, it started to feel like we were just throwing things up against the wall, saying what sticks. And I just thought, well, wait a minute, guys, why are we, why are, what, I think what we should do, because we always knew what the last two episodes would be, what we should do is just stick that up on the board and then from where we are now to 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 the to those two episodes what is what's the story what how much story do we have left to tell without trying to pad it or or tread water or anything like that because that's the last thing i wanted to do and we did that we just honestly kind of looked at it and said how many episodes takes us from this point to that and it ended up being you know, roughly the 13 episodes that we made for this final season. You could chop that up if you really wanted to. Like yeah. you could do a seven and six. Yeah, and we, we kind of entertained all those options. But ultimately, I think we, the, the one thing that I really loved about uh, the theme of this season being this extra very long Christmas special right. is that it had that sort of truncated short time span uh, for all these events to take place. So I thought, we thought, you know, having it one long season as opposed to breaking it up would be better. It's funny, going back into the weeds of some of my old Mr. Robot coverage, I went back and discovered with my with my co-host on a different podcast that I do, we were talking about when Christmas is first introduced into the, into the universe of Mr. Robot, and he and I were bantering about, man, it would be really fun to see a Mr. Robot Christmas special someday. <laughs> I don't think I'll actually see it, but it would be really fun. And here we are, it, I mean, the final season is a it, Christmas is season. A, yeah, it's was the, that something that was always on your mind? Absolutely. Um, I mean, the Kevin McAllister of it all. Yeah, like, you can see the groundwork absolutely. for this. Coming I mean, out. I mean, Christmas to me is, it, it's such a great. I mean, I you know all those classic action films, Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, uh, and, 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 and Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Well, it's the best it's Christmas the show's movie. Stance, objectively, yes. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I just to me, there's something about the tone of Christmas that there's a you know it's reflective you're thinking about what's gone on in the past year you're also hopeful about the the year to come and so there's like a bittersweetness to it and a melancholy to it that's not so deeply sad and i really thought that was a good way to send off the show and honestly it's also something i cribbed off of british television shows i'm a big fan of like the the british office and even uh ricky gervais's follow-up extras he always he always did two seasons and then a Christmas special to um, a great tradition to top it off. Yeah. And I, and I thought, and I thought that always worked because of what I just said, that tone, there's something about it. There is this bittersweet backdrop that Christmas gives you that lets you kind of have the melancholy without indulging in it. You know what I mean? Gives you a great uh, music palette to work with as well. And there's that too. Yeah. And, and I also think there's just a weird, it's an interesting contrast. I mean, again, like Die Hard works so great i mean imagine die hard without the christmas element and it doesn't feel there's something about it that doesn't feel as vibrant as with that attached to it there's just the contrast of of this sort of mayhem on the backdrop of this sort of hopeful holiday that you're looking forward to the future there's just something about that alchemy that's just so fascinating to me so you had the final two episodes up on the board and you decide yeah. that we're gonna it's gonna take 13 episodes total in order to finish this right. story and i'm gonna issue one final massive spoiler warning because i want to ask you yes. about the beginning i want to ask you about how you knew 
how to launch into this season. So again, if you haven't watched the premiere yet, do that before you hear any further. You have enough spoiler buffer at this point. But we begin with a bang. You know, we, literally, we, we begin yeah. with the with the death of a huge character yeah. uh, in losing Portia Doubleday as Angela. Was that something that had been long simmering in your plan? Was that a, a, a moment of inspiration in terms of how this could potentially fuel the season? Talk me through it a bit. It, it's more the latter. You know, character deaths, some, you know, those things... A couple were pre-planned, but most of the time we kind of find our way. It's, a, it's the same thing that we that happened with Joanna in season three. You know, we start to the, you know pitch out the storyline and we figure out well where is the sort of organic end to these characters? I mean, does it start to get ridiculous that they keep they keep living on when all these sort of threats and and and, and the stakes on them are so high? And so with, with Angela's character, any sort of capitulation felt like a betrayal to who she who she was and who she represented in the first three seasons so it almost felt like there's unless we pulled punches there's no way that white rose was ever going to let her continue living and kind of going out in the wild there trying to figure out the machine and with what she knew with what white rose divulged to her so so we felt like that if we were being honest with ourselves this was the only sort of end for her character and and so that that actually is what kicked off our talks of the of whatever this this is before we even decided this was the final season we you know we knew that we had to sort of continue that scene from the third season finale right and so it was the, it was after that where we kind of took us you know a step back and said wow because we were all sort of shocked we loved this character and to just open on that um it was just so heartbreaking we we were also pissed off at ourselves right because again we tried to keep working our like is there a way to save her there's got to be a way and we just couldn't and in your mind in season three when you when you placed her in that situation when you we placed knew. her at the manor you knew that she was under dark arm well surveillance you know you moment? do this thing in the writer's room where you box yourself into a corner yeah. and you're like ah we'll we'll get ourselves out of it next season um sometimes characters can't get out exactly and you and yeah if you're and we we actually came up with ridiculous ways you know jump through hoops to figure out a way to get Angela. What was out. the best way that Angela got out of this situation, or the worst way, uh, we, the weirdest I, way? I mean, I, don't, I mean, it, she went to Kansas at one point and hiding, and I don't know. There was, and then she joined the witness protection program. I mean, again, we just thought this was just avoiding the inevitable. inevitable. Yeah, and we also didn't. The, the the thing with both of those scenarios is it made Angela be kind of a runner. You know, she was she didn't want to face it, so she went in hiding. She was. She, it, it felt like a betrayal to who she was, which is she always sort of stood for her principles, even when she was in these sort of precarious positions, she always stood for what she believed in. And so that's ultimately what drove us to to kind of begin the season with, with that scene and to continue and to continue on. We also thought Price, there's no way that with Price and his, his sort of relationship with White Rose and how much he's sort of under her thumb, that there's no way that Price was going to be able to protect her anymore. Right. And we also didn't like the idea that Price would have, like that Angela would need Price to protect her. So for all those, there was a kind of confluence of things to be honest with our characters and honest with our storytelling. We knew that this was the way to open it. It was after that, that that's when I put the two episodes up on the board and the two final episodes because. So this the, was, this was scene number one of, of season four for you. Always. Oh yeah. 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 And, but then the question was, what do we do after that? Right. And that's when we decided to do the time jump to Christmas. And that's sort of when we started to think, okay, this was the final season. Because, 
you can't like Elliot has gone through so much, has lost so many people, has lost his whole entire hacker group, but to lose Angela, to lose the 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 closest person he's ever known, there is just no turning back for him at that point. He was going to strike back hard, and that's what sort of accelerated. Okay, the, 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 this standoff that we've been waiting for between Elliot and White Rose has to start now. It's interesting to me too because I think there's there's a couple of things that come to my mind that spiral out of losing Angela as an active piece on the board. One of which is the information that she has about White Rose's plan dies with her. Right. And I think that you'd reached a certain point with the character that if she were to continue on in an active way on the show, how do you get to a place where you continue to withhold that? And this seems right. like material you want to tease out for a while, right? right? Like <laughs> this is important stuff for, for end game of the show, I would right, imagine. Right, right. But there's there's that, but it's also like it kind of gets you as a viewer or me as a viewer at the very least to a place of like, I kind of want to believe that what White Rose is working on is possible because if what White Rose is working on is possible, maybe Angela can come back. Maybe my beloved Mobley could come back. <laughs> you know, maybe all of these people can come back. So it kind of increases that tension a little bit as well or, or buys you into that to some, Any some extent. time when you can get the audience to actually root for the villain's goal, I think is really fascinating, really interesting. And honestly, White Rose's goal, which is to sort of reboot the world in a, in a way and, and, and create this just sort of utopic society, there, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, maybe, you know, it's the means that we sort of question and the, the way she's going about it and, 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 the, and sort of the consequences and fallout of all that. But I love when you can sort of see, I mean, it's one of the reasons why Seven is one of my favorite films. Because the end of that film, you're rooting for, and the villain is actually asking you to kill him. Right. And you know by doing that, he wins. So you're rooting for and against him at the same time. And I always find putting the audience in that position really, really interesting and really engaging. I mean, because you tend to want to lean in more. Like, you're so conflicted that it makes you engage on so many multiple levels, not just an emotional level, but an intellectual level. There's so many things that you... And then when you have the audience there, then you can sort of start to play with that, right? Then you can sort of start to play with expectations from episode to episode. So, yeah, I think I think that was part of... But I will say that's not that wasn't the driving force of the decision because right. it always came down to her character. But when, when we saw the sort of benefits of all of that, I mean, not just in terms of what you just said, but just in terms of withholding the information, creating the suspense, keeping that a mystery, it, it just it sort of actually made complete sense, you know? When you look back at season three, one of the great reveals to me is this idea that, yes, Elliot has Mr. Robot within him, but Elliot is within Mr. Robot as well. And there were pieces of Elliot that Mr. Robot was drawing on from. As we're here in season four and the bulk of the action is picking up two months after the death of Angela, Elliot has been living with this. He's been preparing to really go to war against White Rose. He's targeting her heart. He's targeting the bank. He wants to take the money. He wants to pull off a heist. This is a man who used to not be able to look you in the eye. And in fact, that was a tell. That's how you would know which personality had taken over if Mr. Robot was looking you dead in the face. Elliot is looking you dead in the face. And it's right. Mr. Robot who's talking to us, right. the friend. Right. Uh, there's been a shift in, in Christian Slater's providing narration this season. Talk me through some of those uh, conversations that got you to where you wanted to be with Elliot and how you're even structurally playing with that a little bit and in, uh, in sort of the instruction of performance as well, maybe for, for Rami to yeah. agree. Well, look, I've always, I sound like a broker record when I say this, but the, the story really has been following Elliot's journey, um, Elliot's emotional journey. 
And the other thing is, is that the Mr. Robot Elliot dynamic, the condition, the DID, dissociative identity disorder he has, we didn't want to ever play that as a gimmick. That is crucial to who he is and what his emotional journey is. And you said it, Elliot and Mr. Robot are not two different people. They are one and the same. And so there is a piece of robot in Elliot and vice versa, because there has to be. They're two minds of the same person. And so when we when we talked about how he's arcing across these three seasons or these now this fourth season, we knew that we were going to get Elliot to a place where you got to see the little bit of Mr. Robot in him. And vice versa, you get to see the Elliot in, in Mr. Robot. And that that's sort of the, the idea. I always said that the key word in season three was disintegration, right? right? Well, this season is about integration, and this is the coming together of these two guys who have been kind of, at first, it was, a, they were, you know, uh, Elliot was in the dark. In the second season, they just went to battle with each other. Third season, they were both in the dark on one another. Here, they, they're finally coming together, and with that coming together, we start to see this sort of overlap in not only who they are and their personalities, but how they feel about the world. And you start to see that anger that actually caused the split, that caused the DID in the beginning, come through in Elliot and not just in Mr. Robot. Yeah, and having that be channeled through Christian delivering so much of the narration right. seemed like that must have been that presents itself as a really great opportunity to to play with our expectations. Yeah, and we, we we also just thought, well, if Elliot is so hyper-focused, which we wanted, wanted him to be because of what happened to Angela, because all bets are off, and because there's a time limit on his life too, right? So he was going to shut us out. But so who was going to bring us in? And we right. thought that was a great way to not only switch up the dynamic, but also also, again, reflect honestly what is going through Elliot emotionally and what is going through Robot. Robot now becomes the softy in this scenario, and right. he's the one that's is trying to include us. Well, what's fun, too, about it is there's there's the great sequence towards the end of the episode when they get stuck in the honeypot. You know, before everything goes to hell, like, they're working together in, in such great concert, and even in the Grand Central sequence as well, where you see it's, you know, it's playing out like an espionage thriller. Right. It's playing out like, uh, you know, Jack Bauer with Chloe in his ear and everything but it's just like two of himself exactly. so th the way that you're able to stylistically play with that uh you know f society has has thinned out quite a bit we've lost right. a whole lot of those people yeah. along the way um but that must be that must have been a fun opportunity in terms of the writing of these two characters uh, to really see them operating side by side like i can check this person's you know this, uh, i can check this laptop you can check the drawers over there i have to say it was intimidating at first but, you know, one of the things that we did when we started just talking about their dynamic this season is do we have to play the gag where they flicker between each other? Do we have to play the gag? Do we have to, like, have one pop in and pop out and disappear and this and that? I know we kind of gently had to do that the first season and specifically the first season, definitely the second season. But I think here we started to feel like we could trust the audience you know they know now they get they get who the that this is one and the same so when you see mr robot walking through grand central but elliot's on the train you know you're not you know again we just trusted the audience you can to trust know that, that elliot is seeing what's going exactly. on in grand central but you can visually represent yeah. that as mr robot walking and, through. and exactly and that's that's due to the fact that i think we just had a lot of trust in the fans at this point to allow us that sort of creative license to play around with 
you know, Mr. Robot and Elliot being able to be in the same room, talking to people, talking to other characters, but the audience is kind of knows, okay, the real deal is there's one person there, but you know, just to dramatize it, we can have, we can play off these two guys. And when we allowed ourselves that license, then yeah, we were able yeah. to have a lot of fun with it. So we get to the end of the episode. The honeypot does not go well for Elliot. No. And, and, uh, and we, get to, we get to see a familiar face show up to, to handle some of the business. How, how did you come to be the man <laughs> to wield the heroin needle in that final scene for, uh, for the season I will. Okay, so it's kind of an important line, right, yep. that the guy says. Man in Black number three, I should say. That's and this the, isn't uh, your first time on the show. No, too. no, I've had my cameos. I've seen you along the way. And in your mind, is this the same character all along the way, <laughs> or would that be a spoiler? I'm not, I'm not gonna. Yeah, okay. that would be. I'll let the. I'll let you and and, and the podcast yeah. like Antonio will figure yeah, Antonio, it out. Yeah, I'll let you guys <laughs> figure that out. But I just, I do remember thinking, what a critical line. Goodbye, friend. Goodbye, friend. And I just felt weird to give that to somebody. I'm just gonna cast for that one scene. And I also, I'm, you know, I try and find a way to slip in my cameo every season. And I, I think I was in the, I was in the pilot for the first season. I was in the first episode for the third season. So I was trying to figure it out in that fourth in that fourth season opener. And I just you're in season two when Elliot goes to jail, right? Correct. Yeah. So that was sort of later in the season. And so it just it just felt right. But I gotta say, when we were shooting it, I, I started to get really worried. I had. I had two words to say, one line, and um, I must have one job. I had like I mean, you have a thousand jobs. I think but. I did thirty takes. Uh, Rami was directing me. I was terrible. Um, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, I blinked a lot, which apparently is a big no-no when it comes to acting. I had uh -huh. no idea. Um, this is all everything I learned from Rami. By the way, Rami Malek, great, great filmmaker, great director. Yeah, he's a great director, and he gave me great notes, and he and he held my hand through it. That's great. So as I survived. You, as you killed his character <laughs> temporarily know, right? right um i have to say that i so i watched the episode and i was already still reeling from the fact that angela had died and then i got to the moment he kicks over the phone he sees his family he believes that he's blinking out of existence and then it cuts to executive produced by sam esmail and i was so upset that i closed my laptop and i was like i can't believe it like what's going to happen are we going to go on some sort of spirit <laughs> quest with elliot because like we can't be done with rami at this point and it took me literally days of chewing on what exactly the show could do next before it, it dawned on me that you had told me once in the season in the season two finale when Elliot gets shot that you get a scene very quickly after that establishes he's going to be fine because you know we're not idiots right. and you're not going to kill off Elliot. Right, right. It's like oh maybe there was more and I opened up the computer again it's like oh so he actually is totally all right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, by the end of the episode right. but we're left with this very provocative note that it's Philip Price who, right. who brings him back right. to life what do you want to leave us with in terms of that moment and what can you tease out about where we're going to go from from that wake-up call well i just think you know this often happens you know in the third act of any story films television shows when the villain overreaches the wagons start to circle and and you know the the episode opens with price being forced to let his daughter get killed and murdered and and here we are at the end and he's being rescued or he's rescuing uh elliot his daughter's best friend his daughter's best friend and so i think the the what you know what i want to leave you with is here we go the the troops are banding together and and hopefully um you know i don't want to spoil too much but hopefully you'll enjoy how they go out after white rose 
some of the other things uh, that I wanted to ask you about from this episode. I guess one of the really great ones is we're talking about some characters who are leaving, some actors who are you know no longer part of the show. But there's there's new characters to talk about. I gotta I gotta know about Janice. Yeah. I gotta know about the the construction yeah. of this character. Certainly with with uh, Irving going down to Florida to finish up his book, <laughs> you, which is important. You need uh, those damn meaty hands. You know, right. you, you gotta you gotta, you gotta come up. Wow, with, you guys aren't really detailed. There. You gotta you gotta come up with uh, someone else who can who can rep the Dark Army. Right. And, and this is a surprising figure, the the taxidermist. Yes. Uh, who shows up? So what what are we in for with Janice? And what was the development of that character? Well, you know. We always try and have fun with uh, with our sort of I don't know, what we would call them guest villains every season. I mean, you know, and we always try and go. Uh, we we get creative and try and go in a different way. Obviously, Ray was a, a much more in season two. He's much more thoughtful, self reflective man. And then you had Irving, a, a lot more uh, quirky and cheerful. <laughs> right. And loves so, barbecue. <laughs> and loves barbecue. Yeah. And Janice, we really wanted someone a little more, although she's got her quirks, I find her a little more grounded, a little bit more, She, even though she's she's got an odd occupation, it's, and she's really good at it. She felt to us a, a I don't know. There was something about her that felt a little bit more every woman, I guess I should say. And we thought that that would be a good pairing with Dom because Dom, I think out of all the characters, we always felt was the most grounded, the most, you know, very close to their family, the most, most relatable. Yeah. And so we wanted somebody to kind of pair, pair with her like that. And so we thought the, the, the archetype of Janice was just off center enough, but not too off center that it would, it would kind of stick out to Dom because again, Dom's like, a, you know, an FBI agent. She's very good one so she she had to be a little bit more down the middle as opposed to like an Irving who's gonna you know get on Dom's radar pretty quickly right know? yeah uh, and I mean he already announced himself to her so like I think to bring somebody else who can uh who can terrify her with with words rather than an axe but right, right. Uh, which is scarier the, the the picture that she paints or exactly exactly <laughs> that's pretty rough I know I know I know she really goes at it she does <laughs> she absolutely <laughs> does um we're seeing uh, some of the other characters in bits and pieces in this first episode at the very least Tyrell seems to be somebody who's still reeling from not just the the death of his wife but the you know losing his his child through the process of having you know been in the situation that he was in he's cto but it's a hollow gig what can you tell us a little bit about what we're getting with Terrell uh this season well i think you know again we love we love to track characters and put them in unexpected uh sort of unexpected situations that clash with what you thought their motivations were. I mean, if we, if you recall, when we met Terrell, he was a company man and he was obsessed with climbing the ladder as quickly as possible. And specifically, he wanted to be CTO. Well, now we see him as CTO and he couldn't be more miserable. Careful what you wish for. And exactly, careful what you wish for, but how does that change what he wants now and what where you know emotionally after seeing what he's gone through and and seeing that the one thing that he always wanted is given to him and 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 it's not satisfying him how does that change who he is and what what he what he's really after and that's going to be something that i think plays out in a really interesting way in the, in the next few episodes. How about the Darlene storyline? She also is is reeling from what happened to Angela, yeah. refusing to believe it to a certain extent. Yes. Seems like maybe she's coming to grips with it by the end of the episode. Yeah, I mean, and 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 that was the, that was the thing. 
we we thought we talked a lot about the reactions to to Angela's death and on the and you know we have these two siblings and it's always good to show contrast because it, it people deal with grief in very different ways and Elliot and she Darlene says this rightfully so he chooses to shut down and and hold it all in and kind of use it use it as his rage against against White Rose but in this sort of really subdued way and it's kind of bubbling underneath the surface but he's not letting it out and so by contrast we show the opposite of that with Darlene she's in complete downward spiral about it she's in complete denial like you said and she's completely distraught and she's you know she's trying to soothe herself with drugs and alcohol and parties and distractions but underneath it all she's she's in a lot of pain for, for the loss of her good friend so that sets up Darlene in the, in the sort of the same it's weird because the, Ellie and Darlene's trajectories are the same. They are going to want vengeance for what happened with Angela, but Darlene's coming at it from this completely emotional, vulnerable state, whereas Elliot has got this much more colder resolve to yeah. it. We're looking towards the end of the line here, and Mr. Robot initially developed as a feature film was what you had in mind mm -hmm. for it, and clearly a lot has changed since then. Oh, yeah. Sprawling, sprawling, epic narrative that you've constructed here. But as you're, as you're looking towards wrapping this up, production is wrapped, you're in the edit now, what can you say about how it's ending maps to what you had imagined originally and at least thematically and in terms of what you're trying to say with this story well the the themes and the specific ending was was what i did picture ending the feature film version of this as but uh, you know i have to say the thing that turning it into a series did for w what i originally envisioned as a story was creating all these wonderful characters around Elliot. And I think his journey means more because of those relationships. It's funny, the, the feature version was about this loner. And I don't think by the end of that movie version, at least, he actually ever connects with anyone. And then so thankfully, adapting it to the TV format, I was able to actually have characters pair up with him and and challenge him and engage with him and i was able to explore a, a way for this guy to not just arc to the ending that i had in mind but along the way develop relationships that i did not think this character should or would have had in the movie version in the two-hour version so in a lot of ways even though the ending is the same i think his journey is going to be much much deeper and more satisfying because of the other characters circling him. I think this is a show that has meant a lot to a lot of people for different reasons. Uh, we live in dangerous times. Again, we, we've dated ourselves at the top of this podcast and who knows where we are by the time that this is, this is out. But I think it's also a show that has made a lot of people feel very seen with the depiction of mental health with Elliot. You know, that's something that's been very resonant with me. For people who are, who are preparing to say goodbye friend to Mr. Robot, themselves um what has it meant to you to produce something like this that has like been so bone deep emotionally resonant with so many people i mean it means the world to me but i was a little taken aback by the big response we got when we first aired you know the show i always envisioned again even when it was in the movie version but definitely when we started translating it to television it was it was it was a weird it's a weird show. I mean, look, these characters are odd. Elliot is odd, and I 
I thought I was making something kind of niche. I thought I was going to be speaking to just kind of a, a small group of, of people out there. The fact that it was relatable to a much bigger audience was something that actually made me feel seen, weirdly enough, that I, I thought, because again, this is something, uh, this, was, this story is very personal to me, and a lot of what Elliot went through is something that I used to go through. So I'm speaking from the heart when it came to that, and the fact that there is such a f huge fan base out there that, that related to his character moved me. And so the fact that I could even speak to that and speak to other people um, going through some of the same struggles that Elliot went through, I guess I never thought about how it made them feel, but uh, being selfish, it, it was something that just made me feel like I can make a connection with other people and that, 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 that we are talking about something that maybe is pretty, is important. And so, yeah, it just, it's moving beyond, you know, beyond the pale. It's, it's just, it's, it's so touching to me. Sam, I think we're going we're gonna to spend some time talking about some things that happen in the future of the final season, but that's not for air right now. Right. Uh, you and I will, will, will have some stuff coming your way, uh, Mr. Robot fans, to The Hollywood Reporter, but I just want to thank you so much for, for being on the thank show you, and, man. And, and talking this through, and congratulations on an awesome start to the final Thanks, season. Man. Absolutely. Thank you. That's going to do it for us this week on Series Regular. If you want more on Mr. Robot, make sure you head to THR.com slash MRRobot, where I'll have weekly coverage of the final season. We'll also be back with another deep dive podcast once the series draws to a close to pull back the curtain on all of the final season's major reveals. If you want more Mr. Robot podcast coverage, I humbly invite you to seek out post-show recaps, where I'm co-anchoring beat-by-beat breakdowns of the final season alongside Antonio Mazzaro, who, once again, is going to be helping me out with our next major project here on series regular weekly watchman coverage coming your way to this very feed in the very near future make sure you're subscribed and you won't miss a thing and send us any and all feedback at series regular at thr.com until then goodbye friend With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.